Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Paper Review, where I review the papers and big headlines over the week and place events and headlines in their true context in a weekly podcast. And I'm going to start this week with... One of the big stories of the week, although it shouldn't be, for reasons I'll explain, is the protests surrounding the arrival of Donald Trump in the UK. This is in the Express. Trump protesters to descend on London, but US President will miss them and this is why. Organisations and individuals are gathering together to prepare for three days packed with protests across London, but their voices will not be heard by Mr Trump, whose schedule sees him out of London for most of his stay in the UK. Both Mr Trump and his wife Melania are set to be in the capital for just a brief stay overnight at the US Embassy. The first demonstrations will start on Thursday when the pair will land at Stansted Airport from Brussels, where Mr Trump has been attending a two-day NATO summit. International charity Amnesty will unveil an anti-Trump banner with blood-red marking in the style of a horror movie near the US Embassy. But the protests will be lost on Mr Trump, with the US President to be taken to Oxfordshire for a lavish black tie dinner at Blenheim Palace on that same day. And on Friday, when the organisation Stop Trump Coalition will lead thousands marching at the Together Against Trump protest through the streets of London, the US President will be miles away from the city. On the day, Mr Trump will have a working lunch with Theresa May at the Prime Minister's country residence checkers with the pair holding bilateral talks on a number of foreign policy issues. Mr Trump and his wife Melania will then have tea with the Queen at Windsor Castle. The Trumps will also pay an off-camera visit to a British defence site outside of London. The Stop Trump Coalition demonstration, which could see as many as 50,000 people attending, will start outside the BBC building in Portland Place near Oxford Circus at 2pm on Friday and will continue through Regent Street to end in Trafalgar Square, where a rally will be held between 5 and 7pm. A second, much debated protest will take place on the same day when a giant orange inflatable balloon depicting Mr Trump as an angry baby holding a mobile phone will fly over the Houses of Parliament for two hours. Earlier this year, organiser Liam Murray launched a crowdfunder to pay for the project reaching the £1,000 target in less than 24 hours. London Mayor Sadiq Khan later gave the go-ahead to let the balloon fly attracting the harsh criticism of former UKIP leader Nigel Farage who called the inflatable the biggest insult to a sitting US President ever. US Ambassador to the UK, Woody Johnson, said there was no deliberate plan to keep President Trump away from the protests taking place in central London. The Ambassador, who will host for one night the President and his wife at his London residence Winfield House in Regent's Park, also said the relationship between the UK and the US is as strong now as it has ever been. The US President is set to spend a relaxing weekend in Scotland where he does not have any political meeting planned, but demonstrations will follow him across the country as protesters have also organised a march in Edinburgh for Saturday. The Scotland United Against Trump protest will start in front of Parliament before marching through the city, past the US consulate and finishing in the meadows. Protesters will also hold a carnival of resistance, holding stores, talks and music against the US president. This is all worthless bollocks. I don't like protests. I don't think protesting is the answer at all. All protests do is turn people off from the cause you're campaigning for or against, allows the mainstream media in some cases, to brand you and others protesting as violent and extremists and justifies increases in law enforcement and surveillance. We don't need violence. We don't need to fight the system. We don't need angry protests. We don't even need anger, really. We don't need to resist. We don't need to go against anything. We don't need to oppose anything. Because when you are against something, that tends to set up a friction against that which you are against. That doesn't help anyone or anything. We just need to cease cooperating with that which is behind what we want to change. And Trump, just like Obama and Bush, and just like May, Cameron and Blair and 
as far back as you want to go we're just pawns of that which is always there the intelligence arena and the elite and other figures that have served the elite for decades so you can refuse to cooperate without resistance and anger and violence and that's what we need protesting can sometimes work if it's peaceful and if it's done indefinitely until change happens and i've been protesting for a bit and then going home as often happens but trump even though many people don't like it is u.s president and it just shows how much contempt these people have for democracy just like with the brexit vote that even when a vote has been cast people still feel they have a responsibility to change the result or to project anger at the result i can understand people having a problem with it when the results came in and Trump was officially elected. But this is months after now. What is the protesting and anger gonna change? Nothing. I don't have any preference for any political leader, past, present or future. But the fact remains that Trump is US president and these people and others protesting need to respect that he was elected to that position by people who wanted him in that position. The question that needs to be asked, how can a system of democracy so-called in a country of that last figure i heard 320 million plus people that give people a choice of clinton or trump when you look into the background of the clintons especially hillary clinton alone her actions in the state department over the years is enough to call into question the image that she projects rather than the real hillary clinton but anyone who looks into the background of the Clintons, even a little bit, would see that she's not the figure that she portrays herself to be. Certainly not the figure that the progressive or regressive left, the um, feminists, see her to be. So the question should be, how can a system in a country of more than 320 million people give people a choice of Clinton or Trump? That's the big question. And even though people may or may not agree with it, Trump is the candidate that got elected. And while all this is going on, all this protesting against Trump, you've got simultaneously democracy being eroded in Westminster and Europe with the betrayal of Brexit. You've got free speech and free expression being deleted and increasing censorship of alternative information and news being driven largely through Silicon Valley and massively through political correctness. And you've got the end of humanity as we know it largely being driven from the Pentagon, DARPA, the technological development arm of the Pentagon and the intelligence arena and playing out again through Silicon Valley. I go into the latter in episode 11. Trump is a massive diversion and the idea that some people believed in during Trump's election campaign and probably still now, even after the outrageous bombing of Syria on no justification whatsoever, some people believe that Trump is against the system, he's anti-establishment and the establishment when he's perfect for the establishment and the when he's perfect for the establishment and the elite. Not least because he's a diversion from what really matters. And also you've got a perfect figure for divide and rule. We're seeing divide and rule constantly. Divide and rule recently against men and women because of sexual harassment being brought to the fore in the aftermath of the Harvey Weinstein scandal. And of course, genuine sexual harassment should be highlighted but what you've got is genuine sexual harassment being exploited you've got divide and rule between political affiliations between clinton and trump you've got divide and rule between trump lovers and trump haters and while all this is going on the end of humanity as we know it is being rolled out through silicon valley and free speech and freedom of expression without which there can be no other freedom by the way is being eroded by the hour
Another article here involving Trump and about, about migration. This is in the Sun. Donald Trump says Britain is losing its culture because of immigration. The wave of migrants from the Middle East and Africa is permanently changing Europe for the worse, the 72-year-old president argued. That's exactly what it's supposed to do, as I talk about in episodes 12 and 21. The article goes on. Trump claimed the situation pains him personally as the son of two EU countries. Mr. Trump told the son, I have great love for countries in Europe. Don't forget, essentially, I'm a product of the European Union between Scotland and Germany. My father, Germany, my mother, Scotland. But he added, I think what's happened to Europe is a shame. Allowing the immigration to take place in Europe is a shame. I think it changed the fabric of Europe. And unless you act very quickly, it's never going to be what it was. And I don't mean that in a positive way. That's exactly what they want to do. Trump goes on to say, so I think allowing millions and millions of people to come to Europe is very, very sad. I think you're losing your culture. Look around, you go through certain areas that didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago. Mr. Trump made tackling illegal US immigration one of the planks of his 2016 election campaign. Interestingly, in the same article, it says, Theresa May must listen to her generals and hike defence spending to keep the special relationship intact, said Mr Trump. His Secretary of Defence asked the UK government to go significantly above NATO's minimum target of 2% of GDP in funding for its military as the US's major ally. GDP is short for gross domestic product. The president told the son he agrees with Jim Mattis 100%. This is Mad Dog Mattis who said, I like killing people, it's fun. This is who Trump appointed as his Secretary of Defense. Trump said 2% isn't enough. The US pays 4.2% of a much larger GDP. I'm very impressed that Jim sent that letter. I think that is an exact right letter. He's always one for grammar, isn't he, Trump? I think that is an exact right letter. Anyway, the article goes on. Mr. Trump defended himself against allies' charges of blackmail over his demand for rapid rises in all 29 NATO member states' defence budgets. Asked if he was a bully, he said, I'll tell you what, we've had 40 years of presidents saying the same thing in a nicer way and they got nothing, so call it what you want. They're taking advantage of the United States and not going to let it happen. Mr. Trump caused panic by implying he could pull the US out of NATO if other countries did not hide their contributions. He was asked at a Brussels press conference if he had threatened to withdraw and replied, I told people I'd be very unhappy if they didn't up their commitment. Yesterday I let them know I was extremely unhappy. He insisted nations had finally agreed to increase expenditure, adding everyone in the room thanked me. But French President Emmanuel Macron denied NATO allies and agreed to spending rise. The US wants its NATO allies to share more of the financial burden on defence. In 2014, NATO nations committed to moves towards reaching the 2% of GDP figure within 10 years. NATO estimated just 15 members will meet the aim by 2024 based on current trends. Well, you see, what we've got is defence spending, attack spending in truth, attack of whatever country the West decides they want to bomb or invade next, or regime change next. Syria, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Egypt, Iran, and Trump says that he thinks it's sad that the face of Europe is being changed by migration, but what is the main cause of migration for those genuine migrants? I mean, not the ones who were opportunists and who were just jumping on the bandwagon, but those who are genuinely fleeing their countries. It's the very attack, invasion, regime change, conflict caused by the West to further their own geopolitical agenda, foreign policy agenda. And now Trump is saying that the UK needs to spend more on defence spending, in other words, attack spending, which is going to cause even more migration. So either Trump is not intelligent enough to see the contradiction, or he's calling for 
hiking spending on the military because he knows that that will cause more migration and he knows that that's the plan. I don't know which of those two it is, but it doesn't really matter anyway because the end result is what matters and that end result is more migration and effects on the indigenous population and the countries that migrants are pouring into that I talk about in episode 21. Political leaders and politicians are irrelevant to any change that is going to happen. It ain't going to come through them. We have to take responsibility to change things. Article here about Russia again, more demonization of Russia. This is in this is in the Daily Mail. Russia is now a threat to British way of life, says Defence Chief, as he warns that nation's 70-year-long holiday from history is over and military needs to change fundamentally. The new head of the armed forces has warned that Britain's 70-year-long holiday from history may be over. General Sir Nicholas Carter said the military needed to change fundamentally in order to keep up with new threats, including fake news, cyber attacks and assaults on our energy infrastructure. None of which, by the way, Russia has ever been proved to have done. The article goes on. The chief of the defence staff who took on the role last month said the rules-based system that has assured our stability and prosperity since 1945 is now at risk of being overturned. In the past three years, threats have diversified, proliferated and intensified rather more rapidly than we anticipated, he admitted. He said, our adversaries, including Russia, well, they're not adversaries at all, have become masters at exploiting the seams between peace and war, and Britain needs to up its game or risk defeat. See, this is the hypocrisy we get whenever they seek to demonise any national group. I call it moral outrage for hire. Condemn when it suits you, and then do exactly what you're condemning others for when it suits you. They talk about Russia being masters at exploiting the seams between peace and war. When Britain and America invented the game... They're not just masters at it, they invented it. And they're still doing it today. But people who don't bother to question what they're told will just believe that statement from this general because he's a general, so it must be true, without seeing the glaring hypocrisy. The article goes on. Speaking at the Air Power Conference at Savoy Place, Central London, he said, fail to change now when our adversaries, slowly but surely, will overcome us. They will erode and finally overturn the democratic rules-based stable system under which we have all lived comfortably for nine or three generations. Democratic? What, like Brexit, you mean? That kind of democracy. Moral outrage for hire. The article goes on. He says, I fear our 70-year-long holiday from history may well be over and we all have a job to do to fix it. We are at, I think, a paradigm shift in the character of conflict. We need to change the way we do things fundamentally. What constitutes a weapon in this grey area no longer has to go bang. Energy, cash, corrupt business practices, cyber attacks, assassination, fake news, propaganda and good old-fashioned military intimidation are all examples of the weapons used to gain advantage in this era of constant competition. Well, like I said, all the claims against Russia, none of them have been proven and they presented no evidence to back up their claims. And do we really believe that British intelligence is not corrupt? Do we really believe that British intelligence does not engage in cyber attacks and assassination and fake news and propaganda? But you see, when we do it, that's all right. When another country does it, oh, well, they're a threat to the world. Moral outrage for hire. He goes on to say, 
the rules-based international architecture that has assured our stability and prosperity since 1945 is, I would suggest, threatened. Sir Nicholas said the lines between peace and war had become blurred and added the risk we run in not defining this clearly and acting accordingly is that rather like a chronic contagious disease, it will creep up on us and our ability to act will be markedly constrained and will be the losers of this competition. The lines between peace and war have become blurred. Well, that's the idea. He said the world today is made up of increasingly assertive and aggressive states that are prepared to attack using techniques below the threshold of what we would once have called conventional war. He named Russia as the arch exponent of this, describing the country as probably the most complex and capable state-based threat to our way of life since the end of the Cold War. But he added that he was not suggesting Moscow wants to go to war in the traditional definition of the term. Well, Moscow may not want to, but Britain and America do. That's the reason for all this demonization of Russia, is to justify a conflict with Russia. He said that in the past two years, Russia has shifted towards using cyber subversion and coercion, as well as sophisticated use of smear campaigns of fake news. So Nicholas encouraged creative thinking to modernize the armed forces, adding it's not about matching strength with strength, but thinking about how to outmaneuver him by threatening his vulnerabilities, by holding what he cares about at risk, and by thinking laterally and asymmetrically. Well... Creative thinking is not something I would ascribe to the military, personally, anyway. Either this guy has bought the propaganda himself about Russia, that they're a dangerous enemy that wants a conflict with the West, when actually the reality is the opposite. Or he knows the game plan, and so he's calling for it and trying to persuade the people that Russia really is a dangerous threat because he's a general and he must know. Either way, we're seeing, yet again, more demonization of Russia. The plan is for a massive global conflict involving Russia, China, Iran, and the West, to which they can then say, because of all this conflict, we need a world government and world army to stop this ever happening again, even though they engineered it into being in the first place. This world government would be the unelected bureaucrats in the Hunger Games Society that I talk about in episode four. Take the structure of the European Union in relation to that and play it out globally, and that's basically the structure you're looking at. And the unions would be the means through which the world government would dictate to the parts of the world relevant to each union, or mega-region as is designed because countries are designed to be broken up into regions, mega-regions, mega-cities, smart cities. And now we're going into the transhumanism agenda, which I talk about in episode 11. This is the connection. This is what the mainstream media doesn't see, the connections. And this is how this story connects with the story I read out earlier about the doctor who says gender is decided at birth. And a mainstream journalist would look at this story and look at the story about the doctor and see no connection whatsoever they'd see them as totally unconnected because one's about a doctor talking about gender the other one's about britain's military force and russia no connection but there is because of the reasons i've explained today and in episode 11 in terms of the world government we already have a de facto version of the world government called the international community, which is nothing more than Britain, America, Israel, and one or two others. And we have a de facto world army called NATO. They just want to make it official, and through that more wide-reaching. The official excuse for the world government and world army will be that it will be a world government with power to stop another massive conflict. The world united and a world army to stop conflict. They won't tell you that international law the phrase that keeps being used is code for global dictatorship and any nation or group who don't play ball and or don't want to surrender their lives to the orders of the world government will be targeted by the world army on the orders of the world government. They want a global government military dictatorship structure and 
This is why they've got commands in different parts of the world, like CENTCOM, C-E-N-T-C-O-M, and PACOM, P-A-C-O-M. These are all part of creating this government, military, dictatorship structure. It's all about control, because at the end of the day, that's what the whole global agenda is about. Control and the manipulation of perception. Story here about fluid gender. This is in Telegraph. The government drops doctor who says gender given at birth. A doctor has been sacked as a medical assessor for a government department after refusing to announce his Christian belief that gender is determined at birth, the Sunday Telegraph can reveal. Dr. David Macrath has worked for 26 years as an NHS doctor but was told he could not be employed as a Department for Work and Pensions Disability Assessor if he refused to identify patients as being of a sex that they did not see themselves as. The 55-year-old father of four believes sex is genetic and biological so established at birth. He now claims his right to freedom of speech has been denied and he has been classed unfit to work for the department because of his religious convictions. You see, now this is what I've said before, this is the political correctness pyramid. We're told that people's religious convictions should be respected, and they should. But when you're talking about transgender or fluid gender, because of the power they have through political correctness, then the idea of respecting people's religious convictions, all that goes out the window, because transgender mean, means more to the elite's agenda than someone's religious beliefs. Even their religion has served the elite, and still does to a very large extent over many years since religions were created. The article goes on. And the medic from Dudley in the West Midlands fears many other professional people of faith could also be dismissed simply for holding opinions about gender that are centuries old. Dr. Macrath, who registered as a doctor in 1989 and spent most of his career working in accident and emergency wards, said, I'm not attacking the transgender movement, but I'm defending my right to freedom of speech and freedom of belief. I don't believe I should be compelled to use a specific pronoun. I am not setting out to upset anyone. But if upsetting someone can lead to doctors being sat, then as a society we have to examine where we are going. Well, I refer back to the previous article today. People being so hung up on pronouns while in Silicon Valley, the end of humanity, while in Silicon Valley, the end of humanity as we know it, is being rolled out. The article goes on. And when he says... As a society, we have to examine where we are going. Well, where we're going is any view outside of the political correct official establishment view will be banned. And there will be punishments for expressing that view. I featured an article in episode 16 about proposals for people to be found guilty of hate crimes, which are often breaking the laws of political correctness and facing, possibly facing jail time for expressing those views. That's where we're going. Certainly those views will be banned, if not people being imprisoned for expressing them in this free country we live in. The article goes on. Dr. Macroth, a reformed Baptist, started a training course in May to become a health and disability assessor for the DWP. His role would have meant interviewing them and writing independent reports about the health of those claiming disability benefits. However, when his instructor stated that reports must only refer to the patient or client by the sex that person identified themselves as, a discussion took place among the medics about the fluid nature of gender, Dr. Macrath claims. I said that I had a problem with this. I believe that gender is defined by biology and genetics and that as a Christian, the Bible teaches us that God made humans male or female. 
I could have kept my mouth shut, but it was the right time to raise it. The tutor took me aside and said he had passed my comments up the chain to the DWP. Dr. Mackworth then received an email from Advanced Personal Management, the agency that employed him and would have hired him out to the DWP. They explained that he could undergo training about the department's policy, but the DWP have consulted lawyers and was adamant that any report or contact with clients should refer to them in their chosen sex, otherwise it could be considered to be harassment as defined by the 2010 Equality Act. The doctor replied that in good conscience he could not conform to those demands and said the contract was terminated between them. He said, firstly, we are not allowed to say what we believe. Secondly, as my case shows, we are not allowed to think what we believe. Finally, we are not allowed to defend what we believe. By stating what has been believed by mankind for centuries, namely that gender and sex are determined at birth, you can come under ferocious attack. If we are no longer allowed to say that you believe sex and gender are the same and are determined at birth, everyone who holds my views can be sat on the spot under this act. I'm not an isolated case. A DWP spokesman said the Equality Act states that it is unlawful to discriminate directly or indirectly against a person on grounds of a protected characteristic such as gender reassignment. She added... Dr. Mackworth made it clear during his training that he would refuse to use pronouns which did not match his own view of a person's biological gender. We expect all assessors to handle assessments sensitively and adhere to the Equality Act 2010. APM declined to comment. Well, gender is determined at birth and it is genetic and biological. Sexuality can be changed just by deciding that it's changed. But gender, what you are as opposed to who you fancy, is determined by genetics and unless there is a physical biological genetic change there is no change people might not agree with this doctor's view but it's his opinion and he has a right to express it people being offended are completely irrelevant if someone wants to make the choice to be offended because it is a choice that's a choice they've made the doctor says he's not attacking the transgender movement and not intending to cause offense not that he should have to say that so it's his opinion, and the reason no criticism or even just questioning of transgender and fluid gender is allowed under political correctness is because political correctness is a cover for the truth of elite agendas. I don't agree with discrimination of any kind, but there's a difference between genuine discrimination and someone's opinion. Political correctness is there to exploit genuine discrimination to cover up the truth of elite agendas like transgender. I've talked in episode 8 about transgender and fluid gender and where it's leading, and where it's leading is why political correctness exists. Because they know if there was open discussion and debate about transgender and fluid gender, people would have a very different view of fluid gender. And that's why they use political correctness to cover up that truth. Article here about talcum powder, but it connects into other areas, as I'll explain. This is in The Guardian. Johnson & Johnson ordered to pay $4.7 billion over talc cancer claims. Johnson & Johnson has been ordered to pay nearly $4.7 billion, £3.58 billion in damages to 22 women who claim the company's talcum powder contributed to them developing ovarian cancer. Mark Lanier, the lead counsel for the women, six of whom have died from ovarian cancer, said Johnson & Johnson had covered up evidence of asbestos in its products for more than 40 years. After a six-week trial at a court in St. Louis, a jury awarded the women $4.14 billion in punitive damages and $550 million in compensatory damages. 
Medical experts testified during the trial that asbestos, a known carcinogen, is mixed in with mineral talc, which is the primary ingredient in Johnson & Johnson's baby powder and shower-to-shower products. Lawyers said asbestos fibres and talc particles were found in the ovarian tissues of many of the women. We hope this verdict will get the attention of the J&J board and that it will lead them to better inform the medical community and the public about the connection between asbestos talc and ovarian cancer, Lanier said. He goes on to say the company should pour talk from the market before causing further anguish, harm and death from a terrible disease. The article goes on. Johnson & Johnson has been sued by more than 9,000 women who claim its talc and powder contributed to their ovarian cancer. The company has consistently denied that its products can be linked to the disease. The company said it was deeply disappointed with the verdict saying it was part of a fundamentally unfair process that grouped the women together and awarded them the same amount. Despite differences in their cases, it said it intended to appeal. The evidence in the case was simply overwhelmed by the prejudice of this type of proceeding. Johnson & Johnson remains confident that its products do not contain asbestos and do not cause ovarian cancer, J&J said in a statement. They also said every verdict against Johnson & Johnson in this court has gone through the appeals process, it's been reversed, and the multiple errors present in this trial were worse than those in the prior trials which have been reversed. The Women's Health Charity Overcome, spelled O-V-A-C-O-M-E, has a fact sheet on the issue. It said some studies have shown a link between use of talcum powder and ovarian cancer, but more research was needed as there was no consistent evidence to prove that the more you use talc, the greater your risk of ovarian cancer. There's an article here from naturalnews.com, which does some very good articles on health and healing. This is from April the 12th, 2016. Johnson and Johnson lawsuit set to begin after the company knowingly hid baby powder's cancer risk. Johnson and Johnson lawsuit set to begin after the company knowingly hid baby powder's cancer risk. Johnson & Johnson is being sued by more than a thousand women who developed ovarian cancer after using the company's baby powder product. The lawsuit is based on the assertion that the company knew their product was associated with an increased cancer risk but deliberately withheld that information from the public. For generations, women have used the product to give the genital area feeling fresh and clean as one plaintiff, who has since died from the disease, put it. A link between talcum powder, the main ingredient in Johnson & Johnson's baby powder, and ovarian cancer has been suspected for many years. But the company ignored the scientific findings even after further statistical studies in 1982 confirmed the link. Over the years, Johnson & Johnson has put a great deal of effort in convincing consumers that their products, particularly their line of baby products, which includes J&J baby powder, are safe and trustworthy. It is believed that this may be the reason the company withheld the information linking their baby powder product with ovarian cancer. They wanted to protect their reputation at all costs. But of course that was why they did it. The truth about one of America's most trusted brands, but Johnson & Johnson's products are not nearly as safe as the company would like consumers to believe. In fact, there have been a number of lawsuits in recent years involving J&J products. From Bloomberg.com this next passage is. Johnson & Johnson has spent more than $5 billion to resolve legal claims over its drugs and medical devices since 2013. That year, it agreed to pay $2.2 billion to settle criminal and civil probes and claims that it illegally marketed Risperdal, an antipsychotic drug to children and the elderly. Two other medicines were included in the settlement. Two other medicines were included in the settlement. It was one of the largest health fraud penalties in U.S. history. The company has also agreed to pay some $2.8 billion to resolve lawsuits about its artificial hips and $120 million for faulty vaginal mesh inserts. In its 2015 annual report, J&J stated that more than 75,000 people have filed product liability claims and that didn't include the top powder cases. The article goes on. 
1982, a study by Daniel Kramer, an epidemiologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, was published showing a statistical link between genital talcum powder use and ovarian cancer. Shortly after, Kramer was contacted by J&J executive Bruce Semple, who asked for a meeting between the two. In Kramer's testimony from a 2011 court filing, Dr. Semple spent his time trying to convince me that talc use was a harmless habit while I spent my time trying to persuade him to consider the possibility that my study could be correct and that women should be advised of this potential risk of talc. The article goes on. Kramer now says he believes the chief motivation behind the withholding of the information was to protect the company's reputation. I don't think this was a question of money, he said. I think it was pride of ownership. Baby powder is a signature product for J&J. The article goes on. The revelations about Johnson & Johnson are a glaring example of how American corporations are willing to lie and withhold vital information regarding the safety of products that generate billions in profits. Well, yes, but corporations around the world are the same. That's the point and the mega corporations, others as well, but the mega corporations are owned by the elite and they are just vehicles for introducing the elite's agenda in their area of operation. So whether it's talcum powder, whether it's what passes for food with McDonald's, whether it's what passes for a beverage with Coca-Cola, whether it's an energy company introducing and pushing smart meters or a internet company pushing 5G Wi-Fi, which I talk about in episode 8. When I talk about smart meters in episodes 1 and 17, whether it's Monsanto pushing genetic modification of food and crops, I talk about that in episode 20. They're just vehicles for the elite's agenda. Just as political leaders are vehicles to introduce into government and into law the elite's agenda, so too are corporations vehicles for the elite's agenda. And this is one reason why, as I've said before, the idea is for corporations to run everything and we're moving there more and more all the time. They want an end to business of all sizes. They just want giant corporations to run everything. And if you don't like the way the giant corporation is treating you as an employee of the corporation, then tough because you won't have anywhere else to go because all there will be is corporations. That's the bigger picture behind a story like this. See, the mainstream media would look at this as it has with the first article I read out and just see it as a story about talcum powder. But when you understand the context and connections and that's what pay-per-view is all about, that's why I do it, suddenly the panorama comes into view. What the mainstream media does is look at everything through a telescope, the wrong end of the telescope. And so it and thus it can only see the subject it's focusing on in isolation. But if you understand the context and connections, you can see the bigger picture. And that's what pay-per-view is all about. The article goes on. It is shameful when a company spends so much time and effort to build a trusted reputation while covering up any evidence that their products may be unsafe. Well, shameful, yes, but predictable. Johnson & Johnson's carefully constructed corporate image has led millions to believe that the company actually cares about the health of people who buy its products and that those products are completely safe. Sadly, it seems that Johnson & Johnson is just as cynical, deceitful and profit-minded as the tobacco industry. It turns out they are just another corporate wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. Yep, they are. But again, as I've said before, there's different levels to situations and events that happen. One level is that it's just about money. And that level exists. But, as I keep saying, society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. Therefore, when something's done, not in every case, of course, but in many cases, there's an agenda behind it, and that's why it's really happening. 
I've talked many times about the elite's depopulation agenda and how that connects into the smart cities agenda, which is being played out through corporations, internet companies and energy companies to build smart cities. And if you are going to cram people into what are called smart cities, then what are you going to do with people who live in areas of rural land in, in the countryside? Well, you get them off the land. And there's still a heck of a lot of people to cram into smart cities. What you do is you operate a depopulation agenda, which is what has been going on for a long time now. And this is just another way that it's planned to be operated. Because if you're going to make vast tracts of land designated not to be used and only certain areas of land are to be used and lived in if you can call it living then what are you going to do with all the people and that's where the depopulation agenda comes in as i've talked about before so although this seems to be a story about token powder there's a much wider bigger panorama article here about toxins. This is in the Daily Mail. Expert reveals the everyday household items that could be making you sick and the chemical field kitchen utensils you should get rid of now. Everyday items like toothbrushes, reusable bags and plastic cooking utensils may sound harmless but as it turns out they could be making you sick. According to Australian author and activist Alex Stewart, everything we choose on a day-to-day -day basis deserves a healthy level of precaution. The author of Low Tox Life explains she adopted a similar stance to Europeans who embraced an idea called the precautionary principle. This just means if there is a little bit of research here and there starting to pop up, sit back, choose something safer and not freak out, she said on Today, which is a talk show. Miss Stewart discussed a range of common items on the programme that were potentially problematic, including plastic cooking utensils. She said research tells people not to put plastic in microwaves because of leaching and that similar issues can occur when cooking using plastic utensils like spatulas. Plastic utensils are the biggest thing to ditch. Switch to stainless steel, switch to wood, she said. While many Australians are now opting for reusable bags to cart their groceries, these two may prove harmful. Miss Stewart said mould could become a problem with the bags if they became damp and were then put into a dark cupboard. Her advice was to definitely give the bags a good wash every couple of weeks, but she was quick to praise the efforts of Australians in moving towards using less plastic. The humble toothbrush also came under fire for being an environmental concern. Miss Stewart said part of the issue was that on average, Australians were throwing out 13 million toothbrushes every year. Her larger concern was landfill and damage to the environment as a result. She advised people to consider buying bamboo toothbrushes instead because the bristles could be easily removed while the handle itself could be composted. Writing on her blog, Miss Stewart spoke about the problem of Teflon, the non-stick coating that's commonly found on many household appliances. Teflon hides in many places and while experts say the off-gassing only occurs on high heat and with misuse, it's bioaccumulation dangerous one absolutely not to ignore. The article goes on. At high temperatures, Teflon is known to give off a blend of 15 types of toxic particles and gases. She recommends when choosing cookware such as frying pans, woks and saucepans to opt for stainless, cast iron or enamel. It has been estimated that the particles in Teflon will take about 4.4 million years to break down, she wrote. She goes on to say that we're not feeling the effects now, but picture the accumulation of billions of people using these products for 100 years in our oceans inside us. Well, I personally would say that the effects are going to be seen a lot sooner than that and are being seen but of course when someone's affected by toxins that they don't know are toxins and they get ill 
they're never going to trace it back to the toxin, are they? And they're going to know that that's what caused it. So they could be saying, oh, this is doing me no harm, when it has, but they won't know that. And the, they go to hospital or the doctors and they won't know that either. In fact, they'll give the, in fact, in many cases, they'll give them a toxin in the form of pharmaceutical medicine to overcome the problem caused by a toxin in the first place. I've said before that we live increasingly in a toxic world as well as And there's another section here. Other items that may contain Teflon. This is just a small list, but this shows the extent of toxicity. Dental floss, microwave popcorn bags, irons, hair straighteners and curling wands, baking gear including most parchment, greaseproof paper, carpets and sofas, toasted sandwich makers, waffle makers, rice cookers, waterproof mascara, some light bulbs. I've said before that we live increasingly in a toxic world as well as a massively irradiated atmosphere and increasingly so all the time and this is happening for a few reasons two of which are beyond the scope of pay-per-view but the one I want to focus here on is the depopulation agenda and this is how this story connects into the story about Britain's military force in Russia and the story about the doctor talking about gender being decided at birth the agenda is to foster a synthetic race with synthetic genetics which will be able to withstand a massively irradiated and toxic environment which we are not even close to seeing yet in terms of the full extent of it a race that can withstand these extremes in ways that biological humans now cannot withstand they want to create this transhuman synthetic race I won't call them humans connected technologically to a wireless technological hive mind known as the cloud or smart grid which needs massive amounts of wireless radiation to make the wireless communication possible. This is where 5G comes in. I've talked about 5G, Wi-Fi in episode 8 and 12. They need a race that can withstand those extremes of toxicity and radiation. And this is where fluid gender is leading, as I said earlier. And you need depopulation if you want to cram people into smart city mega regions and barred from vast tracts of land in each country and this toxic radiated environment is one way this depopulation agenda is happening. We've got toxins in food and drink, cosmetics, cleaning products including body cleaning products, pharmaceutical medicine and we've got plastic pollution and microparticles from plastic, even toxins in the plastic and bottles of water that you buy in the shops is one story I featured on pay-per-view before I talked about this toxin BPA has been found in plastic bottles of water. And we've got radiation from wireless, smart and other technology, from nuclear power. The scale of toxicity and radiation on this planet is incredible. And that's not to say that the people making the food and drink know they're putting toxins like aspartame or that people creating products with other toxins in or on them know they're doing that. They're just doing their job, doing what they've told. But ultimately, you take all these different sources of toxicity and radiation and they're all part of this depopulation agenda. Once you know the agenda, everything becomes clear in terms of why it's happening. And that's what pay-per-view is all about. So that's it for this week. That's the news. That's the contesting connections. That's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.